welcome to the Love Your Life Project, a gentle guide to living a wholehearted, meaningful life. In these trying times, listen to stories, poems, musings, mystical wisdom to inspire you, bringing a little more light to your day. I'm Anuramana. I'd like to talk today about not getting what we want and how that might serve us. Let me give you an example. Like most of us, I've been sequestered at home for most of the past year and a half. Earlier this summer, when a very brief window opened that looked like travel might be more doable, I scheduled a rising retreat on the beautiful island of Hawaii because many others were feeling cabin fever on the mainland. The lure of tropical beaches and heart-centered poetry was alluring, and many signed up. Then the Delta variant of COVID swooped in, and that window slowly, painfully closed. For good reason, people were nervous to travel. Gathering in a room together seemed formidable. The Hawaiian governor asked for a tourist not to come. We weren't tourists, so to speak. We would have left a small footprint. However, the evidence was stacking up as people cancelled their plans. And then back in May, after a personally grueling winter and spring, I'd been invited to Hawaii for a little break. A dear friend offered her rental. I booked tickets and was really excited about some R&R. Two days before I was to travel, my back gave out. Sitting for long periods was impossible, so that trip was also next. Then, in July, I was to host a dear friend's wedding in the meadow beyond my cabin. In spring, it's the most beautiful, beautiful space a vista of tall grasses and kind of a sea of yellow dandelions and buttercups. It's like sunshine. And of course, Mount Shasta in all of her regalness, right beyond the meadow. But a few days before the wedding, a wildfire in the region sent smoke billowing through our mountain town. And understandably, the bride and groom hastily moved to a venue indoors. The night before the wedding, my most cherished cat, Bowie, love of my life, animal lovers will know what I mean. He managed to hobble home after being hit by a car. He'd been out for four days in intense heat and smoke. I'll spare you the graphic details of his severely damaged body. But it was horrific. I'd gone meowing down the alley for him earlier that evening, as his wild streak sometimes kept him outdoors all night. But it had been four days and nights, and in the heat wave and thick smoke, I wasn't sure he'd survive for long. I truly feel that he heard my calling, and it gave him the oomph to struggle home. I lay next to him on the floor all night, loving him, stroking him, singing to him, 
amidst fountains of tears. Next morning, it was clear that kindness would have him ushered gently out of this world. It was heartbreaking in ways that even now are hard to speak of. So how could I love my life then? I could only melt back into my heart where the love for Bowie truly resided and be glad he wasn't suffering anymore. And as the smoke thickened all summer with multiple fires in the area, I began to feel relief that he wasn't here. He would have been longing to be outdoors in the meadow, as was his way. You know, after Bowie's body went limp, I bent over his beautiful form, perfectly still, weeping, and whispered to him, My love, you are free now. His response came immediately, and so are you. I'd been thinking for a while of moving, but couldn't imagine how I could tear Bowie away from his beloved meadow and neighbourhood. And I certainly couldn't tear my body away from his. At first, I found myself talking to him, singing to him, looking out for him on the alley or in the tall grasses as I drove home, and would stop mid-word, still in shock that he was gone. But grief has its own timeline, and it comes in spurts, allowing us moments of reprieve to tide us over till the next bout. I realised what a huge opportunity this was for me to really embrace grief. You know, it's a close cousin, grief, to love. They're very much related. We wouldn't grieve over losing something or someone we didn't love, would we? And also, death, I got to explore. I'd had my own near-death experience many years before and its power had stayed with me. I'd had what you might call visits from beloveds who had passed over, not many, but incredibly powerful ones, when a door opened to that other world momentarily. And it was always beautiful, and those who communed with me were wise in their words or exchanges and true no longer bound by gravity in the laws of this world. It's always the ones who are left behind, I feel. That grieve because the human heart grieves the loss of the physical form. But it's really the presence of that beloved rather than the absence that we're grieving. So, a few days after Bowie left, I was lying on the mattress on the floor in my living room. The heat wave had brought me downstairs from my bedroom and I was camping next to the small AC unit in the window by my desk. I'd just woken up and was in that kind of hazy liminal space when suddenly Bowie appeared. He walked towards me, his body absolutely pristine and perfect. His soft fur was glowing. He sat right in front of me like a god or a king. And I asked, how can this be? I thought you were dead. I reached out to touch his fur and stroke it, expecting it to dissolve into air. But no, 
My fingers trawl the length of his back, savouring the very same softness, the very same silkiness I'd loved every morning during our snuggles in bed. It was as real and visceral as anything in this world. My heart leaped in joy. And then he was gone. Was it a vision, a dream, a gift from beyond? I can say with certainty it was a gift. It was a miracle that appeared out of the the ethers and softened my heart. A question that might be worth asking yourself is addressed in the poem I'm going to read to you now. It's by the poet Raymond Carver. Maybe you have heard of him. He was actually a wonderful fiction writer, too. But he had a difficult life. He was married for a while. He was an alcoholic. The marriage fell apart. He got divorced. And it looked like he was going downhill. Things were going downhill for him. And then he met the woman who would become the love of his life. Tess Gallagher fell in love with her. His stories started to gain attention in the big magazines. He was starting to become a name in fiction. Everything was turning around for him. He had quit drinking. His whole life opening up before him, full of possibility, in love, doing the work he was passionate about being recognized for his talent. And then he was diagnosed with lung cancer and told he didn't have very long left to live. And the thing that has always struck me about this is that even though his life had started to take a turn for the better, he didn't become bitter and shut down and get angry. Instead, he really leaned into his remaining time. And he wrote this poem, which is short, but I feel expresses so much of what our journey here on earth is about. And it's called Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life, even so? And did you get what you wanted from this life, even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. And maybe these are the greatest gifts you can have in this life to call yourself beloved, to feel yourself beloved on this earth, to know all the way through that you are so loved, to feel it in your bones. So maybe you could ask yourself that same question. Did you get what you wanted in this life? Even so, even with all of the challenges and missed opportunities and disappointments, even so, Did you get what you wanted? And maybe also you could ask, did you give what you wanted? 
sometimes we make the best out of what we are given. We appreciate the goodness that we do have in life. We get to wake up and live and breathe another precious day, knowing that their number is limited. Many yogis have said that we're allotted a certain number of breaths in this life. How many breaths might you have? And how much do you cherish each one? So next, I'd like to share a poem by Jane Kenyon, who had an idyllic marriage to her much older former poetry teacher, Donald Hall. They lived together happily in his ancestral home. And then she was diagnosed with leukemia and she died at only 47. I don't know if she wrote this poem before or after her diagnosis. Either way, it rings true. It rings true for all of us. We've been shown in these past years, these past months especially, how uncertain life is, how the unexpected can show up at any moment. Let's take a moment to savor Kenyon's gratitude for her, for her life while she had it, while also holding the temporality of it, the brevity of it. It's called Otherwise. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did the work I love. At noon, I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day, I know it will otherwise. One day I know it will be otherwise. And I find this poem so poignant, but also very tender and beautiful. Jane Kenyon obviously really loved her life and appreciated it as she lived it. And even the simplicity of Sleeping in a bed when so many do not. Sleeping in a room with paintings on the walls. That is something to be incredibly grateful for. So perhaps you could just consider your life, the goodness that is in it. Savoring, savoring the beauty amidst all the hurdles and the upsets and the unexpected. You know, I'm sure that that played into that repeated line, it could be otherwise. One day I know it will be otherwise. Not just about the possibility of her mortality, her death, but also falling into 
this depression that she had periods of reprieve from. So that is one way many creative people work with challenges. I, many years ago, had a job as a media escort. Sounds very, very um, intriguing. <laughs> but the idea was that I would drive around town. When I lived in Portland, I would drive around town um, writers who came to promote their book. And of course, for me, it was an ideal job because I got to meet a lot of my my heroes and heroines. But I remember one particular novelist saying to me that what he did was he worked out his demons, he worked through his demons in writing. And so that is one way for sure and very helpful because it can inspire others. But also just holding in your heart, stopping and watching the response, the the physical response, the emotional response to a challenge, the thoughts that are flying through, and just allowing them, noticing, noticing that they're just sensation, just energy moving. And holding in your heart is a way of bringing love to those places that really are just crying out for love. And so I want to leave you today with a short, playful poem by the famous Mary Oliver. You may be aware she too was an animal lover and had dogs that she really loved. One was named Percy and she has a whole series of amazingly delightful and beautiful poems about Percy. And she kind of uses her experience with him to learn about life, to examine how we should live our life. And dogs, for sure, are um, a great inspiration and example for us. They don't hold grudges. They live in the now. They're always up for some play, playful time. So this one is titled, I ask Percy how I should live my life. I ask Percy how I should live my life. And so the poem I'll read you is Percy's response. Love, 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 says Percy. Love, 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 says Percy. And hurry as fast as you can along the shining beach or the rubble or the dust. Then go to sleep. Give up your body heat, your beating heart. Then trust. Love, 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 says Percy, and hurry as fast as you can along the shining beach or the rubble or the dust. Then go to sleep. Give up your body heat, your beating heart. Then trust. What wiser words could we have on how to really embrace this human incarnation. Thank you for being with me today. Signing off here with so much love. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others. 
And if you'd like to hear more, you can find me on my website, anaramana.com. And also on there is a link to become a member of my Patreon family, where for a donation, I offer additional gifts and bonuses, like guided meditations and private Zoom calls. Much love to you. Till next time.